0: District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Welcome to another installment of District of Conservation. I am your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast aims to give you a sober look into public policy relating to conservation, energy, and environment. In today's episode, we're going to do a quick overview of the conservation legacy of congressman don young who suddenly passed away at the age of 88 last week while in transit back to alaska and i will give you my interview with tanner churney influencer marketing specialist at spy point trail cam before we touch upon young's legacy and my interview with tanner i want to briefly plug in why you guys should become regular supporters of blood origins i'm not being paid for this plug they're friends of the show we've had robbie kroger on But you can enter to win some great prizes if you offer donations, whether on a monthly basis, a one-time basis, and there's even a prize to go hunting in South Africa if you're interested. So consider being a supporter of Blood Origins. They tell great stories relating to hunting. They really give a voice for sportsmen and women, and we can't recommend them enough. So if you want to support them, let's do that. We like to help other people. They've helped us. We're going to help them. So here's a plug for Blood Origins. Check it in the show notes. I hope you guys consider it. Now to today's episode. Congressman Don Young of Alaska, the Dean of Congress, having served for many, many decades, passed away at the age of 88 en route back to Alaska. And he was running for another term in Congress. And if you aren't familiar with Don Young's legacy, how he relates to conservation, I'm going to offer a synopsis of his background some of the hallmark pieces of legislation he passed. And I don't really have a Don Young story personally to speak about because I didn't get a chance to interact with him, although his congressional account has followed me for some time, so that's really neat to have had that. I did go to his office once a few years ago for some meetings, and his staff are really great. They were really open to working with CFACT and cross-pollinating, and I haven't spoken to them since because of covid And all that, because that kind of interfered with our congressional outreach efforts when I was doing that for CFACT a little earlier. But he had an incredible office. I will tell you, it was probably, I think it was the largest congressional office for any single member. If I'm not mistaken, I can be corrected if I'm incorrect in that assessment. He had a very big office. From what I recall, he had taxidermy everywhere. Weapons, different unique tools, a big grizzly bear that greeted you whenever you entered And it was really, really impressive. You got to really feel like you were in an Alaska office. And if you don't know about his background, I believe he began, he did trapping. He was a gold miner and he was a teacher. And he was pretty outwardly with his style as a politician. He would say some controversial things, of course, certainly. But he was quite a character and he was pretty beloved in Congress. There were certainly things you could disagree with him. I think on other issues, I had my disagreements with him, but that's not the whole point of honoring his legacy. But in these particular issues, he was pretty good for the most part, I would say on conservation. He was arguably one of the biggest champions of hunting. Safari Club, Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, everyone, every group that you have heard of has lauded him They've written nice tributes to him in week of his passing, and he was considered like the sportsman sportsman. And he was also a past chairman of the House Natural Resources Committee. Friends of mine who've worked in Congress have said they've worked with him in the past, either in committee or adjacent to committee, and that he was kind of a life of a party, very kind of colorful in his remarks and his presentations. There's actually several stories of him of like demonstrating like how trapping wasn't that dangerous. I think there was one congressional hearing he did that. There was another where he was talking about a pubic bone of a whale or another big species. And so he was known for a lot of like different interesting demonstrations and remarks. I'll read from the Anchorage Daily News about their tribute to the Dean of Congress. He was definitely the biggest Alaska champion you could find in Congress because there was only one at-large member. He played an important part in affecting oil development, national parks, and implementation of native land claims. He often cited as proud achievements from the first chapter, the bills allowing the trans alaska pipeline and creating the 200-mile exclusive fishing limit. Young reached the height of his power between 1995 and 2006 after longevity made him a committee chairman. He was assigned natural resources a significant post for his E News. They talk about how he was probably one of the biggest champions of Anwar drilling, like i just mentioned. Oil was also central to Young's fight to allow drilling in Anwar, another priority that persisted throughout his time in Congress. Backer scored a major victory with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, which opened the door to lease sales in the refuge. But the Biden administration has halted the drilling approval process. The refuge, a key habitat for her- caribou, migratory birds, lynx, and other species. Although to most of us, that's not really controversial to drill in Anwar. But people are making it a lot more extreme than it is. He once lashed out at Rice University professor Douglas Brinkley in a 2011 hearing after the witness spoke highly of the refuge's ecology and corrected him, corrected Young for calling him Dr. Rice. The Arctic plan is really nothing it is the most desolate part of the area young said he was also a big proponent of reforming the endangered species act when he was chairman of the committee although different plans of his never became part of law and they cite that we must do a better job of managing our wildlife to keep them from reaching threatened or endangered status he said of a 1995 bill that aimed to increase landowner rights according to UPI And he also sponsored successful legislation in 2017 to overturn an Obama-era rule that prohibited certain practices on federal refuges in Alaska, like snaring and baiting some predator species. He was also a lead sponsor of the Magnuson-Stevens Fishery Conservation and Management Act and led efforts throughout his tenure to continuously reauthorize the policies and institute amendments like those meant to prevent overfishing of certain areas. He frequently took on the timber industry's causes, including efforts to increase logging in the Tongass National Forest and other federally owned forests. And if you want to learn more about his record, I will include links to past bills that he supported. And I believe he successfully, across both natural resources and outside of natural resources, he was a sponsor of 123 bills that eventually became law. Zach Brown, communications director for the late representative Don Young, had tweeted about his passing and his legacy, him returning to Alaska, and here's a tweet that he tweeted from yesterday, staffing my boss for the last time. We loved him very much, and he was so loyal to staff, a heart the size of Alaska, and accomplishments to match. Husband, father, grandfather, Army veteran, teacher, riverboat captain, mayor, state legislator, 45th dean of the house. And you can follow his staff to learn more about his legacy. But he was, like I said, supporter of trapping, Endangered Species Act reforms. He supported balanced use on public lands. Really was the conservationist conservationist. And it's a sad day for conservation that he has passed. And hopefully his legacy will be upheld. And I think more stories will come out about him. But that's kind of an overview of what he did what his impact was in this space and certain accomplishments you needed to know. Learn more about his accomplishments in the show notes. Now to my conversation with influencer marketing specialist, Tanner Cherney, who works for SpyPoint. He was formerly an independent creator. He has done video work, photography, and he's probably one of the best ambassadors, personally speaking, to the Dakotas, especially North Dakota. I connected with him a few years ago over social media. That's how you typically befriend people. And he really impressed me with his work in showcasing a region that doesn't get a lot of appreciation. I think people look and overlook the Dakotas, especially North Dakota. They don't know what happens. They think it's just this big area. But there's a lot more to it, a lot of history there, a lot of great outdoor opportunities. And he's going to make the case for North Dakota to you all today. So here's my conversation with Tanner Churney. I hope you like it. I want to welcome to the podcast, Tanner Churney, a longtime social media contact who I recently befriended in person at the most recent shot show in Las Vegas. He works alongside my friend and past guest of the show, Trent Marsh at Spy Point, And they're a trail cam company. You guys have probably heard of, they're starting to make more gains in the outdoor industry, have a really cool product. And Trent has talked about it. Tanner will talk about his affiliation with them, but I want to bring him on because he comes from North Dakota. And I figure we could add some levity to the podcast, meet some more great outdoor communicators I've met along the way in social media and also in person. So, Tanner, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Yes. Thanks for having me on, Gabrielle. And like you said, it was great to finally meet you in person in Vegas here. Oh, what? We're almost coming up on two months now. I know. It, we've had such a, you know, we've followed each other on social media and been in contact, I would say, for, a, a number six, of years, six, seven years or so, and easily, it's always, yeah. It, it's like we always say in this industry, the power of social media is is crazy, and the relationships, the friendships you get from it, and then just these connections. It's been good. So, yeah, it was great to finally meet you in person and, and take in the whole shot show as it was.
0: And it was your first one, correct?
1: It was. It was. Oh my uh, gosh! It was a crazy couple of weeks because you know we were with Spy Point. We were over at ATA in Louisville, Kentucky, for. Uh, about five days and came back and I had a fishing tournament back here in the Dakotas that I partaked in with my family. And then literally the day after the tournament was done, we uh, flew off, took off down to Vegas and spent the week there. So my January was pretty packed between uh, trade shows and then being on the ice.
0: January is a very busy season for trade shows. And it looks like for next year, they're all spacing them out. I know shot show will remain in Vegas. I saw that Safari club is going to go to Nashville in February. And then I think Bassmaster Classic is going to be in Tennessee next year, March. (laughs) So they're all spreading out, which is nice, but I've had a pretty busy schedule unrelated to the outdoor industry, but I am talking about outdoor industry topics, but no trade season gets very busy. And I know for you guys, especially with ATA shot show and WTF and all the others, it can get very gym packed, but I'm glad you had a great shot show experience because it's a interesting show. And actually it was funny after we all went there, Vegas became a little less strident with all the restrictions with wearing the mask. Cause wearing the mask, like on the the show floor, it was tough. Like I was having trouble breathing. I would wear it, you know, didn't want to get in trouble, but I was like, Oh, I'm glad they're, they're over that policy. Vegas came to their senses with that too. So that was kind of nice to find it after the fact, but you know, we still made shot show fun. It was nice to have that expanded floor showroom
1: it was and you know i always joked like with Trent Walker and i'm like i wonder if i should just have a coffee in my hand at all times to help with the <laughs> whole mass thing and maybe i don't have to have it on the, for the whole 5 days of the show but right. yeah it was it was great to see everyone in person great to see everyone kind of have that whole buzz you know back in person and it, it just it's so much needed in this industry. There's only so much you can do online or via Zoom and Teams where it, you have to have that in-person, face-to-face connections to to really reignite some of that uh, creativity even that we look for in the marketing world in the outdoors.
0: Certainly. Why don't you talk about your backstory coming from North Dakota? Because I think... Unfortunately, people don't know that there are opportunities outside of the coast, outside of the West Coast and East Coast. And people often forget that in the Midwest and in the Great Lakes region, lots of states go unnoticed. And I've been to South Dakota. I know it's a very different place from North Dakota. North Dakota is on my list. But having been connected and seeing your post of catching magnificent walleye and all these other incredible species that you find in saltwater or sorry, yeah, freshwater uh lakes and and rivers up that way, of course. And there's a lot of offerings. You post beautiful sunset with walleyes. I love how you position the fish and they kind of look at the sunset. So those those photos are great. And you've obviously hunted across the country in and outside of North Dakota. But talk about North Dakota and give my listeners a pitch as to why it should be on people's radars.
1: Absolutely. So yeah, as you said, I'm a North Dakota guy born and raised Um, I love visiting other places, but North Dakota is always my home. You know, I've never really left here. Um, I grew up in a small little community, which for the listeners, if you're into walleye fishing, may be familiar with, which is Devil's Lake. Um, It's 160,000 freshwater acre lake that's uh, sitting in the middle of the state that is probably one of the top five walleye fisheries in the whole U.S. or North America even. And then when you get to perch fishing, it's the same thing. So having grown up in a community of 8,000 people with that Wonderful lake sitting in my backyard. It was tough not to get into the outdoors. You get out of school and you go cast a line on shore, go put the boat in. Um, It's just it was a wonderful area to have, you know, just sitting there in the backyard of it where I grew up. Um, So had that kind of as my upbringing, and then. I, uniquely enough uh, you know with the outdoors and hunting and everything um, you know a lot of families fathers or mothers gets their kids into to hunting and I had kind of a unique story where my dad never grew up hunting um, but he had some friends in the area that were looking to get permission to hunt on some land so over the course of a couple of years of him helping them get on land and me tagging along I kind of caught the bug and kind of got the whole flip my the roles reversed and got my dad into the sport of hunting and growing up here in the Dakotas, you know, if you're looking for waterfall hunting or upland game hunting, which everyone knows South Dakota is known for pheasants, but uh, North Dakota, you've got the Southwest part of the state, or even the Southern part of the state. There's some lesser known areas that uh, maybe don't have as many people, but still have just as many birds and grew up uh, chasing waterfall and chasing pheasants across the prairie and kind of just morphed my passions into my career. Uh, When I got out of college, I was fortunate enough to get a job Um, on the marketing side with our small little tourism community in Devils Lake, working for the Convention and Visitors Bureau there. And worked there for five years, which was a great job. Um, Had the ability to meet a lot of people, you know, like the trade shows we were just talking about, Shot Show ATA, where there was, you know, more of the fishing side of things that uh, was very fortunate to go and represent the area um, and just get to know a lot of people in this industry. And after a couple of years, you just realize everyone's like family and you never really want to leave it. Um, And, you know, with the one thing about North Dakota, um, I love to have my camera in my hand. And that was another passion that kind of fueled when I started doing a lot more of the outdoors. And if you ever look at sunset photos from the Dakotas, I don't know what it is about here. I don't know if it's just because we don't have as much, uh, obviously, city lights and different things. And maybe it's the pollution in the air, whatever it may be. But I think we have hands down some of the best sunsets around here, uh, around the United States. And so... kind of grew my passion from that into photography and started my own um, photo and video videography company that also did some social media management and one thing led to another here actually coming up on just about a year now that uh, I landed working with uh, spy point trail cameras and like you said your friend Trent Marsh been working alongside him here now for a year and uh, just been able to take a lot of my passions and and make a career out of it and, and never look back
0: You've certainly sold me on North Dakota and I'm really happy that you are in this position now because yeah, you've done a lot. I think you're like me, you did a lot of freelancing, you did a lot of work with different companies and it goes to show that hard work pays off. So you're in a really incredible position and it's so cool to follow your journey and see where you've gone in these years, but yeah, you, you did like the tourism stuff, you did your own little thing. And then now, yeah, working for spy point, that's a pretty good step. So you should be very proud of all your accomplishments. And that's kind of what like a lot of outdoor communicators have done. Like, do you think it's pretty viable to become an outdoor communicator? I know I say this, um, having been on Poma and and working for them on their board of directors, which I love doing, I've already served a year, very close to a year. And I am encouraged that outdoor communications, is starting to take hold a little more. There are still some challenges to it, but I feel like a lot of people want to tap into the niche. They don't know how. What is your advice for people who are looking to do outdoor communications?
1: I, I, I 100% think it's a viable opportunity. I think if you've got the right mindset and the work ethic, it's totally doable. Um, the biggest thing is that you know, you're know you going to take a couple of years to get into this industry and you may not strike it big right away with big you know writing jobs or, you know, you might be freelancing here and there, but all it's going to take is a couple of years of getting in the, your foot in the door making a few connections and then one thing leads to another and all of a sudden an opportunity comes. Um, You know, when I started freelancing, that was one of the biggest things was after about five years in the industry, there were a lot of people that just were, Hey, I heard you're doing this or you're doing freelance photo work. And, you know, let's stay in touch because there may be an opportunity where we could use you as an extra shooter on a job or whatever it may be. So there was just a lot of, a lot of those connections that would have never been there if I would have just stepped in the foot, stepped my foot in the door and said, all right, I'm getting into the outdoor communication world. And if I don't get anything good here in the next six months, I'm cutting my losses and leaving. It's, it's one of those things that builds up over time. But uh, if you're, if you got the right mentality, work ethic, I think it's, it's one of those uh, things that's totally doable um, and, and very enjoyable.
0: Talk about your work with SpyPoint because Trent has talked it up for me. He wanted me to do some, I would say uh, influencer work. I don't think I'm qualified enough. And I have had a terrible time using trail cams. Maybe I don't know how to use them. I'm pretty good tech-wise with handling technology, but I got a trail cam. I think it was from Bushnell. I set it up and I was photographing myself. I did everything correctly. I I mean, I get lots of wildlife in my backyard. Maybe SpyPoint will be different if I set it up correctly instead of false imagery. But (laughs) talk about why the product you guys think stands out from the competition. I've heard many people talk great things about it. I don't think I could do influencer work with you guys quite <laughs> quite yet or down the road, but I appreciate Trent thinking of me. But I think the product is interesting to talk about or the company is interesting more so. But what drew you to work for them? And then what are some of the products that my listeners should be aware of?
1: Absolutely. So the, the biggest thing that drew me to working for a company like Spy Point was A, you know, I love marketing and just being able to marry the marketing position in the outdoor world. It worked into an awesome opportunity with them working with pro staff. Um, overseeing their social media and then also working alongside with Trent on a lot of the influencer stuff. Uh, But one of the biggest things for me is using the trail cam, especially in the cell cam market, like the Dakotas, where I deer hunt out at our family's property. It's, you know, 120 miles from my doorstep. So it's not the easiest to just drive out there on a Saturday and pull a card and do this and try to keep tabs on the deer herd. So um, it was you know, I love using cell cams and using those prior to working for SpyPoint, um, having that ability to still maintain your daily life, but also keep track of your deer herd that may be, or, or turkeys or whatever you're hunting um, remotely from a couple hundred miles away uh, is one of those reasons that I, I loved the trail cam industry um, and also wanted to continue further my career in there. Uh, and, and this year it was super exciting because I, you know, a year into the job, Um, there's been a lot of great innovations but when we were at ata and we relaunched the new flex that's going to be coming out this summer um, you know it's been a couple year process of listening to our customers some of the pain points we have you know whether it's turning the camera on and trying to get it activated or updating firmware Um, so our our new camera is going to address a lot of those situations where you're going to be able to update firmware remotely over the air Um, you're going to be able to format your sd card remotely there is 33 megapixel photos. It's going to take 1080p video with sound, also transmit that to the app. Um, there is so many great op- options in this new camera that's going to retail for a 169.9 at the at the retail front. So there's just, it, I tell you what, when you may have heard this, I don't know if you did, but when we launched it at ATA Friday morning, our website crashed within about 30 minutes, which wow. is a, not a great thing to have happen, but it's for just cause and a good reason that there was so much people interested in this new camera that uh, right now it's going to be midsummer when it launches. So trying to keep that buzz up has been fun, but I am excited to get this new camera in hands and uh, and start uh, start utilizing it. And as you may have noticed in the cell cam industry, you know, especially with a lot of our previous models, like the Link Micro, or the Link S Dark, um, in the US here, you've had to pick two different carrier models and it was all based on where you're placing that camera, not off your personal cell coverage, but where that camera is gonna be. Is it gonna have better AT&T service? So you're gonna to need to pick the nationwide model. Do you have better Verizon service where you're putting your camera? Well, you may need the VZM model. Well, this new camera is gonna solve that problem by basically it's gonna have two preloaded um, dual SIM cards in there already. So you turn that camera on, wherever it's located, it's going to automatically search for the strongest signal strength in that area and connect to it. And then it's going to have a threshold where it's going to hold itself accountable to. And if it ever drops below that certain threshold, it's going to go back to the network and search and look for the next highest one. So a lot of great technology inside this camera that's going to hopefully help the end user keep it out in the woods longer, not have to mess with it, keep your presence out of the woods as well, and just keep you out out of the woods until it's time for rut and you're a better hunter.
0: Good explanation. And I'll make sure to direct people to the website in the show notes if they wanna check out the different products. Do you have any interesting fishing trips or hunting trips coming up? I can imagine a lot is happening now that things start to be relaxed, a lot of more opportunities to go out on the water, especially in the summer, because hunting seems to be taking a break after turkey season, of course. But I keep thinking like, oh my gosh, we have June. But I'm like, no, we still have March and April and May. So aside from turkey hunting, do you have anything else happening or any trips planned that my listeners might be interested in following if they were to connect with you on social media later on?
1: Absolutely. So, you know, ice fishing just kind of wrapping up here. You know, we probably have got a month or so left, but it was a long season. So I've kind of started to put my ice fishing gear away. I'm actually uh, heading off to Utah here in a week. Going to go do some exploring in the southwest part of the state there to, to look at uh, like Bryce Canyon, Zion National Park, go do some... Um, adventure hiking and things like that and then the rest of the summer is going to be spent probably in the boat chasing walleyes nothing too crazy planned for summer um the next big trip will be uh beginning of October my girlfriend and I will be heading out to Idaho on a do-it-yourself mule deer hunt on the eastern part of the state
0: when are you going to Utah
1: so we leave March 20th we head out and then we're going to be out there for about five days and V- looking forward to it. renting a car. I've got a couple, what do they call it, glamping spots picked out that we're going nice. to be, uh, be hopefully stargazing. And you know, I, first thing that's already ready to be packed is my camera because I can't leave home without that.
0: Right. You have to tell me where, because I am going to Utah a little later than you, like two months later, I'm going to do some filming on national monuments. That should be a fun subject, but you have to tell me where you're going. So my videographer and I can also do some stargazing and check out some different things for v-roll footage. So I will definitely, it's been a while since I've really explored Utah apart from Salt Lake City. I haven't been to the park since, gosh, I think 17 years ago, 18 years ago, but I love it. So you have to let me know how it goes and I will definitely look out for those. Any other like tips or items you want to insert and leave my listeners with before we direct people to connect with you on social media?
1: Uh, biggest thing is, you know, obviously the spy point trail cameras, if you're looking for, if anyone's looking for the cell cam market, reach out to us, we'd love to help you out. Um, other thing is if you haven't visited North Dakota, I know a lot of people always say it's the last state they visit and I'd highly recommend it making maybe it not one of the last, because there are some amazing places out here and I've never been able to experience a place where if you get on I-94 and you get to, let's say Fargo on the east part of the state. And you drive about 400 miles to the western part of the state, which would end you in about Medora Beach. You go from a river valley to the prairie to ag fields to all of a sudden, for about 30 miles, you hit what we call the Badlands. And it's some of the most rugged, extreme country you have out here. And, you know, we've got Theodore Roosevelt National Park. We've got a Matahe Trail that's about 100 and some miles. You can hike, bike, um, run it. And there's just, there's a lot of things to see out here. Um wide open spaces, amazing sunsets. And if you're into history, there's a lot of great stuff with uh Theodore Roosevelt and Lewis and Clark and everything along the Missouri River in the western part of the state. And I'd highly recommend anyone looking for a road trip. This is this is definitely a must-do place.
0: Where can people connect with you, Tanner, on social media or perhaps any videos you may have?
1: So biggest, easiest way. Um my website's Peak Production W or it's my Company's Peak Productions. my website's gopeakpro.com. Um, but my social handles are going to be just my first and last name at Tanner Journey. And right there, you'll be able to see a lot of, I, I'll post a lot of stuff from where I'm traveling, but 95% of the content you see on my social handles are going to be all from the Dakotas, you know, whether it's South Dakota, North Dakota. So you get a little glimpse into my world and what it's like up here in the, the Midwest. We're not quite to the mountains yet, but uh, we're just a great stop to have along the way there before you head to the Rockies.
0: You've sold North Dakota very well, Tanner, and I appreciate you coming on to make the pitch here on the podcast and to share your journey in outdoor communication and your work with SpyPoint. Thank you so much.
1: Yes. Thank you for having me on, Gabriella.
0: A quick programming note for tomorrow. For you Virginia listeners and those of you who follow Reggie or the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, tomorrow I'm going to break down for you all as simply as I can the new Reggie report from Governor Glenn Youngkin and offer his assessment as to why he wants to withdraw the Commonwealth from this agreement, which is billed as a carbon market, but is actually going to punish a lot of people, particularly producers of carbon-intensive goods. And not surprisingly, it's going to hit consumers as well. I've made the case for why we should withdraw from Reggie in the Virginian pilot and also here at the podcast. And we're going to break down the plans and see what exactly it contains, whether or not the media characterizations are accurate I think a lot of them are overblown, of course, because people are trying to find something, create controversy where there none need be. If you don't know, Virginia's participation in Reggie, if it is to proceed and be enacted fully by September of this year, September 1st, if I'm not mistaken, we are going to be paying an additional $52.44 each year on already skyrocketing energy bills. Dominion wants to put another fee on us for this new solar program they have with the passage of the Virginia Clean Economy Act, which is how we got into Reggie in the first place. We're going to pay an additional $800 a year if it isn't undone by 2030. So can you guys imagine how much it's going to be to power our houses here in the Commonwealth? It's ludicrous. And it shows the vulnerabilities with pushing to net zero. It's going to be more expensive. And studies have shown that the more expensive energy costs are, the less people are to support net zero or carbon free or these clean energy policies. It's practical. It's common sense that this would be the general reaction. So once people start to see how much they're paying for these so-called clean energy improvements to go net zero, you'll find a lot of people will backtrack their support. So we're going to analyze this plan, what it actually says, and how it will save us a lot of money going forward. Thanks for listening to this episode of District of Conservation. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you're following the podcast on your preferred player. We recommend Apple because that's where the largest share of our listenership hails from. And you can also find us on Spotify and dozens of other platforms. Make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor a guest announcement. And please, please, please go leave us some reviews on Apple and Spotify. Those help us go a long way in seeing how far we can go and measure our progress. So we really appreciate that. If you enjoy this podcast, please share the word with your friends, share links to individual episodes and to the podcast. Want to appear on the podcast, have an interesting story to tell. I'm all ears, shoot me a message and we'll do our best to process your request.